this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Woke Bros. Of course, I'm Wozni, aka Big Woz. I call myself Wozni. That's how you know I'm I'm out of sorts here today. But no, um, of course, you know, Big Woz here. As always, joined by my partner, Nando Vila. Coming to you live from Los Angeles, California, man. Um, as you guys know, this is our first official show since our brother passed our brother Michael Brooks passed away oh man I guess it's two weeks now um two weeks feels like forever ago yeah two weeks two weeks now since this happened and um yeah man we told you on the very briefly recorded episode that we would continue to work uh you know this is something we feel like Mike would have wanted us to do is continue the work that we're doing, even though me and Mike did this show together. Um, but he would want us to continue doing the work, continue fighting for the things that we all believe in. And so here we are, man. Um, I was fortunate enough to go out east to attend Mike's services in Western Mass. Um, for those of you who might care, it was just a beautiful service, you know, out in nature. Just, you know, it was just a beautiful send off. Um, I was deeply touched. Um, it was really cool to hear the people that were in Mike's early life who basically raised him, to hear them talk about Mike and talk mm. about how special he was even when he was eight. You know, mm. um, it was it was amazing. Got to meet Mike's parents for the first time, um, his teachers, his principal, his, you know, some of his friends from middle school and high school. It was it was just an incredible, um, just a really moving experience. So I'm happy we got to do that. Um, and again, Mike will live on through this show um, forever. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, we continue today. Go ahead, Nando. Sorry about that. No, yeah. I mean, it's Mike. Mike introduced me and you. you yes, know, sir. And, and and we're friends because of Mike. Yes, and, sir. Um, you know, I was very honored when you guys asked me to jump on this show on a regular basis. You know, I thought that was you know again I was I just felt profound profound honor. And um, you know, continuing to do it will always remind me of him in, in a good way. You know, like I'll, I'll, yes, I'll always be able to, 
to think of him, to, you know, remind myself, you know, of our friendship. So um, I'm eager to keep it going. All right, man. And so in in Michael's honor, of course, we continue on. Um, I feel like the theme going forward, Nando, is, you know, something that Mike had to like to say all the time. And he would say, we don't have time for the nonsense. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. so, you know, with that being said, today we're going to tackle something that, you know, last night we're taping this on a Wednesday afternoon. Last night, I, I was having a little fun on my Twitter account, and I basically, you know, I took the term white privilege to task. I said it's basically outgrown its usefulness. Um, the divisive nature of it kind of does the work of our opposition for them, mm. the way liberals use it. Um, and I just, I don't know, I just think in the public square, it's become, it's become useless, man. And, um, you know... And that's not to say that whatever that we'll get into all of that, but yeah. I just wanted to talk about it because people who I love and care about um, were, you know, were pissed at me on the Internet. Like, yo, what the fuck is this guy talking about? He wants to coddle the white people, um, which is <laughs> actually the opposite of what I want to do. But, you know, I think it's important that we talk about on the show, like the themes and the ideas and the strategy that we need to unify around on the left if we ever want to win again. Mm. Win, okay, being the operative word. Um, man, down in Missouri, an incredible upset. Corey Bush, somebody who was part of the Ferguson movement very, very early on. Um, you know, she got ran by the Justice Democrats in 2018 for this very same seat and lost. She won an incredible upset over Lacey Clay out in Missouri um, for, excuse me, a house seat. Uh, This seat has been in the Clay family for something like 50 years, I believe. Yeah, since 1969. Since 1969. And she won this this primary. She didn't come from out of nowhere. It wasn't a fluke. Like, she just won. Um, And so we're going to get into sort of the nitty gritty that went into that victory. But first, Nando, you know, I was on the Young Turks two days ago, Monday afternoon. Shouts to Anna Kasparian, friend of the show. Um, You know, obviously a friend of ours and somebody who whose work we admire greatly. She she was kind enough to actually have me on the Young Turks. That was my first time on there. I know, Nando, you've been on there many a time, but I, you know, I sort of popped my cherry, if you will, uh, on Monday. And it was just an incredible experience. Shouts to the TYT uh, community who've been reaching out to me the past few days. Um, just showing so much love and support and, and, and rocked with the appearance. So I appreciate everybody for those kind words. And one of the things we talked about was, you know, Steve Mnuchin, he's been making his rounds on TV and he's basically, he's basically telling folks that there's no need to extend the $600 unemployed insurance benefit Unemployment insurance benefit because it's disincentivized. It's quote unquote disincentivized, disincentivizing work. Uh, <laughs> people aren't going back to great jobs because they'd rather. The message that he's trying to send is that they'd rather sit on their ass and not work. Um, he's basically appealing to the, I guess, <laughs> plantation overseer in all of us. I don't. I don't know <laughs> what this. Is, who he's trying to appeal to, and like he, it's like. 30 million people are unemployed and like this hit, I don't care if you're red, blue, brown, whatever, wherever your ideological leanings are, uh, the, the facts remain. So many people are affected by this and it's not because they don't want to go to work. It's because we're in the midst of a global pandemic that was <laughs> quite frankly botched by the guy who appointed this fool. Anyway, yeah. I'm home. Not just that. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Nando. Sorry. Well, I mean, we, the whole point is to disincentivize work. You know, we can't have people going out to work. We have a pandemic that we haven't solved. Right. You know, that's the whole point. (laughs) Well, of course, there's that. Um, And again, just like we did with the first round of stimulus, there's now been a bunch of hand wringing and public debates uh, between both sides. Uh, The Democrats 
you know, basically squandered away all their leverage during the first negotiation. And we'll talk about why Nando will get him more into why and how that happened. But, you know, the Republicans, Nando, and I know you're going to speak to this. They seem to be flapping in the winds and can't really tell which direction the winds are blowing. It's like, should we do this or should we just go with, you know, the money class, the donor class and try to get people back to work as soon as possible in a pandemic for horrible wages? Yeah, I mean, the, what's going on there is is very is very evident, which is that there's an election in November, and there's a presidential election, but there's also, you know, Senate election seats. for yep. Congress, yep. the Senate, mm-hmm. all those things. And Republicans know because they're not stupid that if the economy collapses, they will lose big. You know, that's that's the biggest indicator for <laughs> how a party will uh, will perform in. Um, any election is to see if that party in power has overseen economic growth or an economic collapse. It's just it, it trumps everything. It trumps campaigning. It trumps the candidates. I mean, we're seeing it now. I mean, Joe Biden has a 13 point lead in Florida over Trump without doing anything. It's just purely on the fact that Trump is overseeing this economic collapse. The Republicans know that they need a stimulus, some form of stimulus, some sort of economic relief to the tens of millions of people who have been laid off. But they they, they they want they they want to give that if their goal is to win the election, but what a lot of them are suspecting is that they're going to lose the election anyway. So what they want to do is sort of saddle the um, Democratic Party that's going to come into power in 2020 and basically hamstring them and then take their chances again in 2022 and 2024. So. Obviously, the Republicans who are up for re-election are the ones who are like, no, 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 we should be doing the stimulus. We should be doing all the stimulus because my seat's in, Is in danger. Is here? Yep. Yeah. The ones who, the ones who aren't up, up, up for re-election are the ones who are more reticent to, uh, to give the stimulus because, you know, like you said, the Dems – Squandered their privilege when they uh, their leverage. Sorry, their privilege. I'm already I'm already <laughs> <laughs> gave up their white privilege. Uh, no, they squandered their leverage in the first round when they passed the CARES Act, 96 to zero in the Senate. The Republicans basically put a gun to their head and said, "Give us trillions of dollars in co- for money for corporations, and we'll give you three months." or four months, whatever it was, of relief for regular people, and the Dems took it. So what happened? Now those that relief is up, and the Republicans already got all they wanted. They can't give any more money to corporations. Like, they've already given them $6 the trillion. The market is booming, dude. It's booming. It's booming. Um, so they've already gotten all they wanted, so the Dems don't have anything on them to to, to play with. Like, to, to, you know, like, yeah, Mitch McConnell would like – um, immune total immunity for every corporation for coronavirus deaths, meaning like if you're some corporation that brings its workers back and a worker catches coronavirus and dies, that you're not liable to be sued. Yeah, Mitch McConnell would like to give it to them, but he's not going to give the Dems a whole lot for that. You know, um, so that's basically what's going on. And what the Republicans have offered the Democrats now is, is very clever. It's like we're offering you relief through November. Why through November? Because that's when the election is, <laughs> right? So we'll hold people together through uh, through the election, and then assuming the Republicans lose big in the election, which everyone it, it all looks like they're going to, then they'll hold it hostage, and they won't give the relief so so that the economic pain gets passed on to the Democratic president, Democratic Senate, Democratic House, whatever. So the Democrats, that's why they rejected that offer because they know that they're just basically committing suicide. But actually I talked about it with Anna on the Young Turks a little bit last week too. And, you know, at the end of the day, like it's one of those things, like the relief is, is so necessary. Like, what are you going to do? Like 20 million homeless people? Like, you know, there's, there's going to be, if there's no relief for evictions and foreclosure and any money, like where are people going to live? It's just, it's crazy. Um, so the situation is, is pretty brutal. It's pretty awful. And it all stems from that first round of negotiations when the Dems had more leverage than they did now. They only got four months. They couldn't it, okay, probably so held before out you, Before you go on, in a, not a perfect world, I shouldn't say that. If Let's just say instead of freaking Chuck Schumer, and I bring this dude up all the time on this show, yeah. and it's for a reason. These two dudes, I bring them up for a reason because they are so different 
in not just their approach to policies, but just their just basic competence and understanding of power between Schumer and Harry Reid. Like Harry Reid would have got a better deal. He just would have. He's just he's just always been more shrewd, more savvy um, or savvier, excuse me. And just he just had a better feel for what it is had to be done in order to get the things that the Dems actually wanted. So I, I, I wonder under a different scenario what the deal would have been. Would it have been a year? Because, um, you know, you got to well, think back to remember the financial crisis. Um, I remember at one point they they had uninsured un, um unemployment insurance for I believe eighteen months or something yeah. like that. Like it was kind of understood, but you know at the same time when that got passed, this is under a Republican president, and it's like when you do like for whatever reason I don't know what <laughs> I don't know why, but whenever we do some sort of um government welfare assistance or whatever type of program i don't know why people think it's okay whenever the republicans do it (laughs) there's this idea that it's like only they know when we really need it but you know of course it was under a republican president but that was 18 freaking months right as compared to this and i know a lot of this started with obama where the republicans were just like let's hold little literally everything under hostage uh, you know, debt ceiling, everything. It's just like, let's do everything every three months now. So I guess mm. that maybe that's the new normal, but like what could have possibly been done differently is what I'm asking. Well, I think that the, the rational policy, say we were in a perfect world, is you tie it to health indicators, right? You, some indicator to, of the pandemic, you know, mm. like whether it's new cases, if the cases per day kind of dips below a certain number for an extent, for like a certain amount of time, say for like, if we go two weeks right. with only, that would be scientific, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then, then that's how that's, that's then, then, you know, it's okay to like kind of go back out and restart start reopening things. And then you can, um, and then you can, you know, end the program. So to speak. But again, I mean, it's, you're right that Harry, I mean, Harry Reid was a gangster. I mean, Harry Reid was like a thug. Like he was not, he did not fuck around. You know what I mean? Like Chuck Schumer is is a clown. Um, (laughs) I don't got, I don't got a lot of love for Harry Reid, but you're right Right. that he was like in in the dirty game of politics, no one played dirtier or better. Um, and you know, like the, the Chuck Schumer, okay, like here's another example, a good example of like the, the Democrats just completely not realizing their leverage, right? The, the Republicans always want an increase in military spending, which they got in the middle of a pandemic with 30 million people out of work, you know, God knows how many without health insurance, God knows how many about to be evicted, foreclosed upon all those awful things. They got a $740 billion increase in the military budget. Money that, of course, is not needed by the military in any way, shape, or form, but is desperately needed by American people. All that money went to the Pentagon. Um, and in exchange, you know what the Dems got? Do you want to know? Do you know what <laughs> yes. it was? No, I what don't know what it was. was. No, I don't. They got it was they, they got an amendment to that bill in which they're going to uh, change the names of any military Jesus base that is named after Christ. Confederate general. Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's like the perfect. What, the perfect so, so this all begs the question. This all begs the question, though, Nando. Like, are the Dems absolutely stupid, or are they just complicit? Do they actually not, like? Do they? It's both. Like, is it that Pelosi and Schumer are just like, look, we kind of only want three months for this shit. We like our our. our our corporate overlords only want like only wanted to be this much. We want people to get back to work um, and start, you know what I'm saying? Start earning yeah. for the people who are exploiting them at work for terrible wages in the first place. Um, is is that part of the calculus? And it's and this is going to segue perfectly into our next um, our next segment. But like, it's part of me is just feel like at a certain point, like. It's not stupidity. It's just like this is what they want. Yeah, it's both. It's 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 100% both. Like Mike used to talk about it all the time that the you know the Bill Clinton is an awful disgusting human being but was pretty shrewd at politics and like the dirty games of politics. You mentioned someone like Harry Reid, you know, there's, there's no one like that now, but it's also, so they were, they were awful and ideologically our enemies, but that you could, you could respect a certain level of competence, you know, or at least political yes. savvy yes. And hustle yes. um, that just is absent today. Even if they were like, even if they had their goals be awful, 
they wouldn't know how to do them today. So it's both. It's both. And Nancy Pelosi in particular, who is, you know, is, 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 is a, is a better kind of, um, is a, is a, is a shrewder type of politician than, than Chuck Schumer is also deeply ideological. Yeah. You know, she's deeply ideological. She deeply has, uh, ingrained the tenets of neoliberalism and austerity and all that stuff. Like she is, she is a real believer in all that stuff. Um, so yeah, but it's both, it's, it's absolutely both. They're idiots. They're absolutely, they're, they're, they're dunces. Really, they really are blabbering idiots. Um, weak, they are all those things, but they are also complicit. They are also largely corporate bot. They are also, you know, it's it's both. It's sadly both. And it's important for people to remember. And just cause, because we started off the show with Steve Mnuchin, um, you know, basically badgering people who are out of work. Um, what he's he went on um, that show with Martha Raddatz and basically suggested that there are all these jobs available that nobody's taking because they're just mooching off of the free health care that like just just like empirically is just not true. Yeah. <laughs> like all the jobs that were lost um, have not now been opened up to the point where there's some kind of surplus or that is just straight up not true. But but the ones that have opened up and clearly don't offer wages that are better than what was being offered um, to folks on uninsurance. Um, excuse me, unemployment insurance benefits. Um, people are just like, what, what like, why? <laughs> What's the mm. rush to do that? You understand what I'm saying? Like, there are jobs that are open up, but they're terrible jobs. And it's kind of the point of what we try to get, get at on these shows is that, like, instead of the party fighting for people to get better jobs, better wages, better quality of life. They really, really, people like Pelosi and Schumer are really invested in the status quo. Like deeply, as mm-hmm. as Nando just expressed, like she's, Pelosi is deeply ideological in the sense that she is a dyed-in-the-wool corporatist, neoliberal mm-hmm. corporatist. Corporations, American business is God. You know, mm. like if when you as- like your goal should be nothing else in life but to ascend in the world of American business and corporate culture. Um, mm. That's right. That is might like that's That's her God. That's her. Uh, that's her ideology. And so to a certain extent, it's like, why should we be asking people to stay home when they can go out and be exploited by a corporation? It's like it goes hand in hand. And which brings us to. Missouri, man, quite frankly, um, mm. an incumbent, Lacey Clay in St. Louis, Missouri, got trounced by Justice Democrats candidate Cory Bush. Um, man, uh, it's, it's kind of cool, man. Like, uh, you know, yeah. another one of these primaries where an incumbent, you know, basically establishment Dem is primary from the left. Uh, gets killed for cozying up to the money classes. You know, a lot of, <laughs> which is funny, Nando. It's like, it's one of those things where like, if you're on the left, you're supposed to feel weird about dark money coming in yeah. and doing, you know, the bidding of a candidate that we support. We're supposed to feel funny about it. Guess what, folks? I don't feel funny about it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it. I'm happy about yeah. it. A lot of dark money came in and just, you know, they they kind of killed Clay on on all of the corporatist ties and this, you know, this sort of monopolistic bill that they supported, basically gutting all the Wall Street sort of sanctions from the Obama era that came out of the financial crisis. Uh, and Cory Bush was able to run an effective campaign and won. And this is, look, man, <laughs> the way that the party changes is that you get more, you get rid of the clays of the party and replace them with Cory Bush's. Like, that's, that's it. Like, there's no, yeah. there's kind of no other way. Like, Pelosi and Schumer and, you know, and that's not even to mention a person like Joe Manchin or whatever. Like, these people aren't going to wake up tomorrow and suddenly, like, see the light. That's mm. that's just not what's going to be the case. They need to be replaced as many of them as possible to the point where you now have concentrations of power within the party that share our progressive politics. 
That's the only freaking way. Like the concept that we're gonna just get these guys to sort of, you know, um, a, a tiger getting new stripes. Like it's not going to happen. That's why. All of the things that we mentioned in the first segment about just the ridiculously horrible strategy, and that's not just strategy, but just straight up ideology of the party leadership, it needs to be changed. And this is how it happens, brick by brick in races like this. And, you know, I'm sorry, it's, it's really heartening to see. Again, you know, just as Democrats, as you guys probably know, are the people that got AOC to run um in this Intercept article that covered, you know, the the upset, they talk about that Justice Democrats started with a plan to, to flip 435 yeah. seats. They've since scaled back and, you know, become a little bit more pragmatic and a little bit more targeted and strategic in the seats that they that they try to um that they try to flip. And Cory Bush has been the beneficiary beneficiary of it. We mentioned at the top. She ran in 2018, got killed, you know, lost by about 20 points, ran again. Her opponent knew she was coming, um, started attacking with ads and money very early on. This wasn't some, you know, surprise sucker punch. This mm. this was straight up head to head and she won. Um, and it's yeah. very heartening to see Nando. It's I mean, it's it's hard to overstate just how shocking this result is. Cori Bush was homeless. At one point in her life, Jeez. this is a homeless woman that's going, mm. a former homeless woman that's going to to the United States Congress. Um, that doesn't happen, you know. What I mean? It's not supposed to happen. Uh, Lacey Clay, like you said, is a political scion. I mean, his father was one of the founders of the Congressional Black Caucus. Um, his father was in Congress in that seat from 1969 to 2001 when his son Lacey Clay took over in 2001, and he's been there ever since. So this is an absolutely shocking defeat. Like you said, it, in 2018, she ran against him. He beat her by 20 points. Um, and then in this one, it looked like he was going to trounce her again. He he was up huge in the in early mailings. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then it was it was the it was the in person votes uh, in St. Louis that that tipped her over the edge. Um, and what's also interesting about this race, and it goes to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier about leverage and about exercising power, and which is that none of the squad endorsed her. Um, mm -hmm. AOC didn't endorse her, mm -hmm. uh, Rashida Tlaib, who also won her, um, her race in a, in a race that was, you know, the mainstream media, the New York times was basically reporting that Rashida Tlaib was in trouble in that seat. And she ended up winning by 30 points, hmm. um, which goes to show a lot about how the mainstream media works, but, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, none of the squad endorsed her and that raised eyebrows. Bernie endorsed her, the sunrise movement endorsed her, um, and justice Dems endorsed her. But a lot of the other organizations did not, and she still won. And 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 we know, and we can talk about the politics that were played there. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's 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 the squad just doesn't feel powerful enough yet mm -hmm. to really kind of go against the leadership in such a you know dramatic way. Right. I mean, Lacey Clay is a powerful was a powerful guy. Yeah, um, and. And, you know, the squad has their orders from Pelosi and the leadership that you do not support primary opponents, you know, and if you do, uh, like, you're going to be in trouble. Like AOC didn't support Jamal Bowman until it was like looking very clear that he was going to win, Right. you know? Um, so, and, and what it is, it's like, it, it's about leverage and power. And, you know, maybe if they get a few more people, I mean, Jamal Bowman's going, uh, Mondor Jones is going, who's, uh, I interviewed, or I, I've interviewed with Katie Halper and, and he's a really cool guy. Um, you know, the, the bigger numbers they can get, the more they can start to exercise they, their power, but they have to be disciplined and they have to be willing they have to be willing to go there. I mean, the, the leadership will always be able to hold a gun to their head and be like, if you don't support this, like the Republicans are going to take everything. And you just have to let them fail a couple of times because if not, they'll never fear you. And that's the hard, that's the hard calculus that they have to make. Right. But yeah, like you said, stunning upset. Rashida Tlaib also won her race, which is hugely important because Rashida Tlaib is, you know, uh, with Ilan Omar, probably the most unapologetically left-wing yes. members of Congress. Um, really man, tough. Man, even just so than AOC she, yeah. in many ways, yeah. man. Oh, absolutely, yeah. She's out uh -huh. there for the cause. Like, she puts her yeah. neck on the line and says, and is willing to say stuff um, yeah. and, and is willing to come off as unpolished and just like, man, I just... I just love those women so much. The, just the the straight up authenticity and the passion for 
the causes that they care about. And like I said, an, a, a willingness to just, you know, sound raw, man. Like, so it's dope to see them again, continue to, to, to keep the fight going. And like you said, Nando, they don't feel emboldened enough yet to, you know, just straight up take on the party leadership. But I think slowly but surely those things are going to start happening. Yeah. And and the other thing that is worth mentioning about Missouri is that the voters of the state of Missouri voted to expand Medicaid, to do the Medicaid expansion. And that's remarkable. Missouri, I mean, outside of St. Louis and and, and, and this Deeply uh, conservative. Yeah, super conservative. Two two Republican senators and a Republican governor, right, who refused to do the Medicaid expansion, and and the voters of Missouri uh, overturned that, which is just remarkable. You know, again, it shows that our institutions are profoundly undemocratic. I mean, it's just the, the will of the people is not represented by the people in power. Um, and the more we can activate people, the more it's it, it, it just it has to happen like that. It's not going to be through the institutions of power, it just has to come from, from below. It's the only time good things will ever happen. All right. And so that actually leads me, um, perfectly into our next, our next segment, Nando. And okay. So I'm, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to do the bit that every podcast, every podcast listener hates, but every podcast does anyway. And I'm going to read, my own (laughs) my own tweet to the audience and you know this was last night again i'm just having fun catching up on nba hoops shouts to the nba for coming back i'm so happy but i was struck by you know i saw this tweet from uh a white man in in i think some part of kentucky and it's basically like really white privilege in kentucky like where you know essentially like People are struggling in his area of Kentucky and they're all white. You know what I'm saying? Like people are working two jobs, you know, to pay rent and do all of this stuff. Um, And it's like and people are going like these fools get on TV and talk to us about white privilege. And, you know, part of me is like what like it's obvious right, Nando, that what he's describing does not disprove the fact of white privilege, right? But it's getting at something deeper than that, which is like the messaging of white privilege is just, it's gotten so lost in the muck as far Mm. as the public discourse where it just has no usefulness. And so I tweeted, we got to retire the term white privilege ASAP. It's doing a thousand times more harm than good. Liberals really stink at messaging Needed a term as cutesy as trickle down to actually effectively communicate the point, but we fail at marketing our ideas pretty much all the time. Mm. Which, like, I don't even think that's a radical thing. Is it? Like, that's not me saying liberals are idiots or liberals. Are, like, we're right. We're we're pretty much always right. <laughs> like, and I know how arrogant that sounds or whatever, but like, we're pretty much always right on the issues, but. Being right doesn't make you win. That's like, like a lot of times people just don't understand that disconnect, right? Like if we want to win, you need to change the subject. You need to change the subject from white privilege to why it is those homies in Kentucky have miserable lives. Mm. Who's to blame for that? (laughs) <laughs> that's what you need like, to change the subject to not like you're <laughs> essentially <laughs> what you're saying to those people is they're doing a horrible job of tapping into this unlimited reserve of privilege that they possess which yeah. they're supposed to take as what i'm a piece of shit and suck at being white like what like what are they supposed to take from that essentially like once you tie some sort of negative connotation to somebody's identity that you lost you lost yeah. them right then and there, except for, again, people who already agree with us. These sort of yeah. bleeding hard, white fragility liberals who, you know, like we know who the people who are going to be very receptive to the message are. But that's not the people we're trying to 
sort of get to our side and accomplish a bigger goal. And so like, but people just, they just refuse the, 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 the very notion that, you know, there needs to be an adjustment about messaging within, you know, on the left or amongst progressives or liberals or people give me so much guff for like saying the left these days. It's like, like, like they think I'm saying it pejoratively. It's so weird, but whatever, the opposition, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're opposing the power structure. Are we not? Okay. Everybody who's against the power structure, if, we, if, we're, to po- if we're to achieve our ends, we need to figure out more effective ways at coalition building. And, you know, I know I've been babbling and going long enough, but, like, just put it like this, man. Like, you can say whatever the hell you want about Barack Obama, man. He won. And he would have won another time. And guess what? You know what was nowhere in his freaking marketing package and his plan? White people, you suck. You've been fucking us for years. It's terrible. Can't you see how lucky you were to be white? You were born on third base. You thought you had a triple. Fuck you guys. No. He said, this ain't a red America or blue America. This is the United States. Hope, unity, peace, blah, blah, blah. That shit won. Straight up and down. Inclusivity won. Yeah, and by the way, all of those things he said at the convention in 2004 is bullshit. It's hogwash. (laughs) It's wrong. It's not true. Okay? But liberals got to get over being right. We need to win. That's all I'm saying. We need to win. That's all. We don't, it's not about coddling white people who need to receive some message. We need to win. So the whole conversation about white privilege and why it's so mind numbing is because both sides are wrong. You know, when black, when, sorry, when, exactly. when right wingers say things like what you, white privilege is, is bullshit. It, look, look at these uh, white people in Kentucky, their life sucks. Uh, racism doesn't exist. That that's not true. When liberals say that, you know, like Oprah went on her uh, internet show this week and said that no matter how, you know, poor you are, if you're white, you still enjoy white privilege or whatever. And it's like disgusting to see this like a billionaire like Oprah telling poor white people that they have privilege, right? And, like there's more in common between Oprah, a black woman, and uh, Lloyd Blankfein, the former chairman of Goldman Sachs, than there is between oh Oprah and some, you know, are you poor black me? woman. You know what I mean? There, there's nothing in common between Oprah and a poor black woman um, these days. So that it obscures the question of class, which is still the yes. most, yes. Both, both the most powerful predictor of where you're going to end up in society, but also the best way to do what you're talking about of coalition building. If you put people, if you give people a stake in their own future, then you'll be able to get them on board politically. You know, like if you tell a white person whose life is shitty in Kentucky that they have white privilege, they're going to tell you to go fuck yourself. If you tell a white person in Kentucky that you have more in common with the poor black guy in Alabama or in New York um, than than they do with like, you know, Donald Trump, then you have a chance of at least peeling off a few of them because they'll realize that that's absolutely true. Right. A few um, of them. And that's another thing that people need to realize. We're losing this shit on the margins. Like, it, I got a lot of this. Those people are um, willfully obtuse and blah, blah, blah. You think you're going to get those fools at the Trump rally? It's not like... You're going to get all of them. And by, the way, of them. And, you, and by the way, like, there's a bunch of people who voted for Donald Trump who would never go to his rally. Like, yeah. this idea that everybody... Um, who voted for the dude is this rabid, crazy person. It's like, not really. That's not actually the case. And I think what happens a lot of times um, amongst liberals is, uh, like you just said, man, it's like this willful um, just wanting to decouple the race issue from the class issue. You cannot decouple it. Like, I just had this conversation with friends of mine on Twitter. And I know Twitter is a terrible way to have a conversation. And they're just like, yo, look at all these white people that get to talk shit to the cops on Twitter. I'm like, yo, you got, okay, we got to watch some people talk shit to cops that were white, probably maybe not that well off. And they got away with it, didn't get their head bust. We watched George Floyd die on the internet, got his head bust. He's black. Blah, 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 blah. But the facts remain that more white people 
unarmed white people get killed by the cops than black people. Disproportionately, you know, as members of the population, we are killed at disproportionate rates to white people. Our rates are higher. It's disproportionate. That can be explained by the rampant racism in this country that's persisted for 400 Mm -hmm. years. That's what you see disproportionately. But the core issue of police freaking killing people for no freaking reason goes back to the class issue straight up and down poor white people get policed very harshly all across america it's just a fact police kill white people in this country they just do the cops are allowed to kill everybody why because they are an instrument of the ruling class to keep who the ruling class sees as threats at bay. Like, yo, go handle those freaking paupers. Those yeah. plebes need to be handled. Police, go do it. That's and their watch, job. What you're talking about, if you control for class and you, and you like exclude rich white people, you know what I mean? The difference in police brutality shrinks big time. Bruh. You know, like if, 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 yeah, if you, there's white people are disproportionately, there's a, there's a big chunk of white people who are disproportionately rich in this country, but there's a shit ton of poor white people in this country, like a huge, Dude, huge amount. The, the, if the, you, if you just, if you just look at that population, the poor white population, like say you just control for income level, the levels of police brutality are much closer together because class is a, like you say, it is the, it's still like the, the, the big dominant thing. It still is true. It, it's, it, there's no use denying it that black people that there is racism in policing and black people are killed disproportionately. But if you control cl- for class, that disproportion shrinks dramatically. You know, it's the rich white people who are not who are not killed. Um, everyone else in this country is killed. And 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 again, folks need to like understand like adding the class issue. Or considering the class issue or centering the class issue does not minimize the race issue. They're working in concert with one another because, again, because of the history of our country, black and brown people disproportionately happen to be poor. And so, therefore, these terrible outcomes happen to them at a higher rate. Like, it's all a marriage of the same thing. And yeah. again, the, the 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 topic of white privilege, the reason why it matters is because we want to win. That's mm. why it matters. And like, uh, like a lot of people I, I'm noticing just never had to sell anybody on an idea, on a thing, <laughs> on a pro- like this is called selling. These things have to go out and be sold to the yeah. public. Okay, and 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 it's kind of it's worth saying. Black people are thirteen percent of the population. They will never be a majority. Yes, you know, you know, like the only way we're going to emancipate black people in this country is if we get a big, broad coalition of multiracial working class people. And the way you do that is by giving them a stake in the outcomes. Yes, you know, making it making it worth their while. They're not going to do it out of like a sense of guilt, you'll be able to get like some good uppity liberals like that, but you're not going to guilt the vast majority of no. people into supporting a political program. No. And, just not. and again, that's not to say that the message, the fact that black and brown people live harder lives, generally speaking, in this country because of racism, Straight up and down. Like, that's a fact. And that's not to say that that's not a worthwhile, like, how that manifests itself. You know, white privilege is basically trying to explain to people how it manifests itself. How, like, things that you get to ignore on a daily basis become prominent parts of other people's lives and therefore deteriorates their quality of life. Um, that, that's a worthwhile endeavor, right? Evangelizing for that. But politically... Again, I'm not talking about academically. I'm not talking about peer-to-peer with people you know personally. Politically, it's a loser. It's DOA. It's dead on arrival, bro. Yeah. Like, if, if for you... It's never going to work. It's never going to work out for us in the way that yeah. we needed to, in the way that we need to get, you know, universal health care, universal free tuition in college, you know, um, livable wages. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, decent housing for people. Like, branding it as 
some like 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 yo white people man who who already like man I'm 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 getting tripped up because it's just like this shit seems just so obvious to me. Yeah. What needs to be done and how it needs to be done is just like, bro, like when you're selling an idea to someone, you know, I, I, I like the other day I got into a bunch of arguments with similarly minded types of people about this J. Cole song that came out. And it was talking to something similar to this, but Cole was essentially saying like, yo, the message is falling on deaf ears from essentially bourgeoisie blacks and the way that they talk to like, quite frankly, people in the, from the neighborhood, normal people who can't access your language and the way that you're speaking. Like the tone is just, it's just not there. And you know what I missed? And that I, the, and, and, and. It was pointed out to me by my man, Aaron, who came on our show to talk about it. He was like, you know what, though, was even if you might be right about the message J. Cole is saying, he's got a history of patronizing black women. <laughs> and so yeah. it gets received as a certain way. Like he has to do a better job selling what he was trying to do because of his history, because of what he brings into it. You understand what I'm saying? Like Cole couldn't sell that message effectively because of how people are perceiving it. Like people's perceptions matter. Okay. Like their point of view matters and how they're going to receive a message. And so that's all I would say to the white privilege um, evangelists out there. It's not to say that it's not a worthwhile endeavor that we shouldn't talk about it at all, but politically to lead with that, to watch, like nobody wants to hear Hillary Clinton or Nancy Pelosi talk about white privilege, bro. Yeah, no one. <laughs> I no mean, one. And like what you said, Barack Obama was a very smart political campaigner. Dude. I mean, he ran, he did not run a, a like a, what we would call today a woke no, campaign at all. No, it was the opposite. The opposite, a bread and butter campaign. I mean, he won in 2012 by running almost exclusively on the auto bailout, going to working class people in Michigan um, and telling them, you guys have a job because I bailed out the auto companies. And that's why he won. That's why. And Mitt Romney wrote an op-ed in The New York Times saying, let Detroit fail, even though his father was the CEO of GM. <laughs> so that's what won the election in 2012. Bread and butter issues uh, about money in people's pockets. And, and quite don't frankly, talk about anything else. Don't it's talk so about stupid. nothing the, the, else politically. The culture war. The culture war is death politically. It'll turn anything. It'll turn a significant chunk of the population against you just outright. Look what we're seeing with masks. It's become a culture war issue, and you know, you, it, then people like retreat to their partisan kind of holes, and and it, and then you can't win. And the you know, you just got to avoid the culture war at all costs. It's poison. It's stupid. It don't like politically. It's fine to like talk about it with your friends or whatever, but like if you're in politics, the culture war in the public is square. There's no space yeah. for it. And if you yeah. actually care about these cultural issues, cultural meaning issues that affect black brown indigenous people's communities then they're the ones disproportionately affected by lack of health care not being able to pay for college um terrible housing hello <laughs> that's the wind like like the 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 need to want to do this shit on the front end and again i i i, I know there's this term out there called class reductionist and I get that. And I get that. And I get that. What I'm just trying to tell you is that you can't, it's impossible. Like the, the reason why class reduction is sounds stupid is because in America, it is impossible to take race out of the class question because of the racist past of the country. You can't do it. Like the idea that you're reducing something to class, once you even talk about class, you're also talking about race just by nature it's, of how things are here. Like the but it's everybody people get called, <laughs> people get called class reduction just, just, just for bringing in class into the equation when it's completely absent, you know, right. that makes you, that makes you a class reductionist and it's not true. You know, it's just like, it's the, one of, or if not the most important thing to consider is class. And then everything, it doesn't mean you ignore everything else, but like you have to realize that the current discourse in our current politics is 
absolutely absent in class. You know, right wingers sometimes use it to like drum up like populist support around some and it's around you know, anti elite so, thing. It's but so like, hilarious. It's, it's usually around like this motherfucker went to Harvard or something. Yeah, that's yeah. that. In so much as they talk about the class part, it's generally about a certain hoity-toity type of person. It's yeah. not about Jeff Bezos. No. They net like when right wingers are doing it, they're talking about a certain type of academic, a certain yeah, pointy headed liberal right, professor that uses yeah. $15 words when they're yeah. using it for class. They're pointing it that way. They're definitely not talking about how it actually functions, which is the amount of money you freaking have. I mean, yeah. like this, this stuff seems so obvious, but I wanted to talk about it because again, these are issues that we have to get right if we're going to win on the left. Um, yeah. and so, you know, I just wanted to get at it. Um, do you have anything else, my brother? Um, not, not much. Just, uh, you know, me and Anna Experian are going to be doing the Jacobin shows on Saturdays, Beautiful uh, weekends with Jacobin. Awesome. Um, so you can catch me and her every Saturday on the Jacobin show. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be fun, informative. I think people are going to like it. So yeah, check that out. If you, yeah. if you like this show, you're going to love that. Shouts to Anna Kasparian and the young Turks once again. Um, uh, first of all, I want to say a shout out to everybody who reached out to me. Um, in the past two weeks, uh, it's been, mm. it was overwhelming. The amount of outpouring of support, love, well wishes, um, testimonials, quite frankly, from people who have been affected by the work of Michael Brooks. Um, people who are like, yo, I got put onto you by Mike. People like, yo, you put me onto Mike, changed my life, changed my politics, changed my perspective and my point of view. Um, it's yo, man. Um, I don't yeah. know how else to say it. I'm, I was deeply moved by all of you guys' messages. If I wasn't able to get back to you, it was just a lot of people hitting me, a lot of shit moving parts yeah. the last two weeks. But I, I read this shit. I really appreciate it. It was really humbling, actually, to just see the outpouring of love and support. Um, and that shit was just incredible, man. Yeah. I mean, Opening someone's eyes politically is a hugely um, exciting thing for someone, you know, like when you can finally think you can see the world with with clear eyes um, and you start to realize just how power works and how things work. Um, it's just, it's, it, 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 what makes you, it's kind of what makes life worth living. Right. And, and that's what Mike did for so many people. It was obvious like that he opened their eyes politically in a way that they would never have been able to without his help, you know? So I just hope that we can continue trying to do that, um, as best we can. Yeah, man. And as always, make sure you're subscribing and rating to all the shows. Of course, subscribe and rate the bomb feed. The, the, the Count the Dings official feed, please subscribe to that. Make sure you're listening to Cinephobe and the mailbag. And of course, pack your knives. Please, if you can, become a patron of Count the Dings, man. That support allows us to make the kind of content that we bring to you guys, you know, week to week, man. Um, and we got, we do special goodies for patrons as well, um, behind the paywall. And so just thank you guys for the support. Uh, we continue on. The fight continues. Uh, we'll see you guys next week.